consistency separates winners from wannabes. Diligence makes the difference between all-time greats and one-hit wonders. For the race is not given to the swift or to the strong, but to the one who endures to the end. So pick yourself up, shake your past off, put one foot in front of the other, and do it again. When you hear that little voice saying no one believes in you, you're too far behind, you're too small, this isn't working and this isn't worth it, another voice rises to remind you that the same power, the same strength, the same spirit that raised the Savior from a borrowed grave is alive and active in you. The same God who delivered you from the lion and the bear can and will deliver this new giant into your hands. So draw the line, take your stand, and just like you wielded your weapons last time, do it again. You've been here before. The battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. And if he caused you to triumph back then, be confident. He'll do it again. Yesterday, today, and forever, Jesus Christ is the same. And in his name, you are unstoppable. But receiving this promise requires perseverance. I know sometimes it's hard to keep it moving when you can't see your progress, when you've lost your perspective, when the pain has pushed you past your breaking point. But this is no time to tap out because the end of yourself is the beginning of him. So fix your focus. Wake your courage, stir your confidence, and do it again. Set your face like flint with determination and declare, I will do it again. When it doesn't make sense, I'll do it again. When I have to go against the wind, I'll do it again. When all hell is breaking loose, when it feels like hope has disappeared from the horizon and I've waited for rain, but I don't see any signs, I will look again. Lifting my eyes to the skies, I see a cloud the size of a man's head starting to expand. And it may start small, but little is much when God is in it. And I know I'll win if I just don't quit. Don't you dare quit when you march six laps and still the walls won't fall. Take another lap. You're closer than you think you are. You're closer than you've ever been before. Walk on. something breaks say within yourself whatever it takes whatever the cost no matter what they say no matter what i feel i've got a job to do and i will see this through until god's kingdom comes and his will is done in my life i'm leaving every excuse behind i'm being transformed by the renewing of my mind i'm taking up my cross and following the one who never stops short never surrendered, who said he'd never leave me or forsake me. Jesus is with me always. He came and conquered. He died and rose again. And now he's calling me, causing me, commanding me to breathe again, hope again, trust again, give again, change again, expect again, rejoice again.
Jesus died and rose again so that we can breathe again, trust again, expect again, fight again. And this morning we're going to talk about hope again. So I want you to tell the person next to you, I can hope again. Say it like you mean it. I can hope again. Say it like Stephen Furtick does in this video. And I want you to preach my sermon to yourself this morning. Just tell yourself, I can hope again. I can hope again. You might need to tell yourself a few times before you believe it. But I do that all the time. I preach the same sermon to myself every day, over and over and over till I believe it. There's a phrase that we often use. We say something like this, don't get your hopes up. Right? When our expectations are too high, don't get your hopes up. Don't get your hopes up The spring is coming. I'm sorry, Pastor, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> right? Because I think last year at this time it was snowing. Have you ever been convinced that your life will never change? Have you ever had a struggle that you think will never be defeated? Have you ever been stuck in a circumstances that just felt completely impossible? I believe that as Pastor Jason prayed this morning, the enemy will tell you that because he wants you to quit. He wants you to, to give up and just live in your mess. And there's one kind of person that the enemy can never defeat, and that is one who is not a quitter. We prayed last week, Revelation 12, 11, that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And this morning, I believe that God wants me to tell you, if you're tired and weary, get your hopes up. If you're broken or bruised, get your hopes up. If you're doubtful your life will ever be the same, if you're doubtful your life will ever change, get your hopes up. If you're waiting and waiting and waiting for God to make good on a promise that he has made to you, get your hopes up. If you're feeling discouraged or facing a ton of trials, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Jesus rose again so that we could hope again. And this whole month we've been talking about resurrection and what he's done for us. So I recently had my third little girl. I have a little picture up there for you. This was Easter photos. So now we are officially outnumbered. Uh, people have told us we're on zone defense which is true. Uh, my sweet husband wants to buy a large male dog just to even out the teams. I haven't like said that's okay yet, but Mercy is 12 weeks old. She's the little one down at the bottom. Haley is the one in the chair um, there, barely in the chair. And then I have Cecily. She's a first grader um, home as well. So I mostly spend my days um, refereeing and negotiating with my toddler. Um, she loves the new baby, but she likes to see like how far she can bounce her off the floor or like, how, like how many times you have to push the swing before it goes all the way around, you know, that kind of thing. And so in my effort to distract her and keep her busy, I look on, I'm, I look on Pinterest. Tell me, you, you know, Pinterest is, okay, it's this website with these things on it. And um, it's a little bit, you get on there and you can't get off, but um, there's all these like crafts and such. So I look on there to like think of different things that we can do. Um, but I'm thinking of creating, there is a website called Pinterest Fail, which shows all these things that people try to do. But I'm thinking of creating a reality TV show, okay, that is called After the Pinterest Moment. A day in the life of the Schreibers. That's what I think I'll call it. All right, so tune in. After the Pinterest Moment. Because we could just be the pilot family for this situation. One morning, I have a picture here. We made these cute little paper plate bunnies. This was... Um, around Easter time, oh, there they are. That had like Sharpies and construction paper and glue. And right after I took this picture, just directly after, I think I might've been looking at the picture, which takes like three, three seconds or so, right? Haley is missing. 
which is never good, and she's quiet, which is never, ever good. And so I walk into our home office, and she has the black Sharpie that we were using to create these, and she's drawing smiley faces on Joel's computer, on the outside of Joel's MacBook Pro. Okay, so as I'm like, oh, so, so I grab the marker out of her hand, she starts crying, so I ha- there's a pack of Skittles there, so I'm like, take the Skittles, you know, thinking that'll make her quiet for a minute. So as I'm vigorously trying to scrub off the computer, she's screaming, hungry, 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 which, to which I thought she needed a snack. I turn around, she's shoving the Skittles in the printer. The printer was hungry, not so much her. So now there's purple Skittles in the printer. And so I grab the Skittles, I have the marker. She looks at me with a smile on her face. There's a tube of chapstick on the desk, Joel's special chapstick, and he doesn't like anyone else to use it. And so she grabs the chapstick, and the next thing I hear is the toilet flushing and the toilet's clogging and overflowing because his, his chapstick is in there. Okay, anyway, so that's after the Pinterest moment. After the Pinterest moment, that is what happens. <laughs> oh my goodness, would you laugh with me, not at me right now? So, all right, so then a few months later, before I don't know what happened, I found this super cool recipe for green uh, floats for St. Patrick's Day. Here's, oh, look at, isn't, that, isn't she sweet? No trouble at all right there. And so we made these floats. They had like lime sherbet in them and 7-Up. And right after I took this picture, In one fast blink, she dumps the entire contents of not just that one, but the other three that we made onto the already very sticky kitchen floor. And as I turn around to grab something to wipe it up with, paper towels, a mop, a sandblaster, I don't know, whatever I need to to wipe that up with, she comes running back into the kitchen full speed, wipes out, falls smack on her back, starts screaming at decibel levels. I pick her up. We're both covered in sherbet and 7-Up. And that's how that moment happened, too, right there. So if I tell you any more stories, you might judge me as a parent, so I'll stop now. Um, But I find my life to be almost complete chaos all of the time. (laughs) It's loud. It's sticky. It often leaves me with my head in my hands muttering, you must be your father's child. But I (laughs) I also find my God inserting hope in all sorts of creative ways. He reminds me in the quiet parts of the night when my eyes are so heavy that I can hope again. He reminds me when life is hard and and my burdens are just weighing so heavy on me that I can hope again. And he reminds me that each day he gives us is so full of potential. Each season we find ourselves in, whether it's teen years or, or newly married or retired or sheer insanity, whatever season it is, that there is potential. And potential can't manifest without form. I think of it like like concrete. It must have something to be poured into. Potential has to have something to be poured into, something to give it shape, something to make it useful. And I think that the mold, the mold of our potential is hope. That hope forms our potential. It forms our potential of the moments, and it forms our potential of the seasons. Joyce Meyer said, when you see your life the way God sees it, hope takes over. When you see your life the way God sees it, hope takes over. And if we want our potential to be developed to its fullness, we can't quit. We can't quit. We have to just keep going like that video said, do it again, do it again, do it again, until we see manifested what God has placed in us, until the potential that God has put in us comes to pass. We just can't quit. Because there are going to be things in your life that dash your hopes. 
There are going to be things in your life that you're going to say, I better not get my hopes up. John 16, says this, in this world, you're going to have trouble. You're going to have it, but take heart because I have overcome the world. There's going to be things that weigh you down. There's going to be things that make your heart heavy. This morning, you may even feel stuck or crushed or squashed or beneath pressures that steal or dash your hope. You may be sitting here barely able to mutter that word, hope, because things feel so heavy and dark. So this morning, just for the next few minutes, I want to talk about what, what destroys, what discourages, and what disillusions our hope. And I want to take us through the life of a man in the scripture who knew a lot about having his hopes dashed. The life of a man that walked through many, many hardships many times. I bet his life was sticky and messy sometimes as well. And I brought this scale with me this morning. Um, I told Joel I needed a sermon prop, and he whipped this up overnight, so he's pretty good. <laughs> but um, this bucket here uh, represents hope. The hope that we have in our life, the hope that, the potential for hope, the form. If you poured concrete in here, that it would come to form. The potential for hope. And this bucket here represents everything that counteracts our hope. Everything that weighs us down, everything that makes us heavy, everything that keeps us from having the hope that we need to even survive our days. So I want to talk to you about a man named Abraham. And his given name was Abram. We find most of his story in in Genesis, if you want to read it. And we see Abe wrestling on multiple occasions with doubt. We see him wrestling with doubt that weighs him down. We see him wrestling with doubt that uh, makes him make bad decisions. You'll see it in, in the scripture if you read about it. You'll see him dealing with doubt that discourages him, doubt that ultimately suffocates his hope in moments. In Genesis 12, there is a famine, and Abe decides to go to Egypt for a while to escape the famine. So he's getting out of town. He's getting out of Dodge because he's got difficult conditions. And he says to his wife, Sarai, you're so beautiful. She liked that part. But then he said, when the Egyptians see you, they're going to kill me and they're going to keep you. So I have this great plan. Let's just say you're my sister and then we'll both live. And Sarai's like, okay. And so they do that. And Abram comes up against a situation that is hard to see the end result. And he takes things into his own hands. Can anyone relate? He doubts that God will provide. Maybe not outwardly. Maybe he doesn't say, like, I doubt he's going to come through. But his actions show that he doubts that God will provide. He doubts that God will make a way for him and his wife and his family to survive the famine. So he compromises his integrity and he lies. And his heart is heavy. He's weighed down. It's counteracting the hope that God offers. And then again, in Genesis 16, God had made a promise that Sarai would bear a son, but they waited and waited and waited and waited, and no baby. And so Abram doubts that God makes good on his promises. He starts justifying, calculate, I'm getting old. I don't know how this is going to work. Maybe God forgot. I, I don't understand why he's making me wait so long. Did I do something wrong? And Abram begin to, begins to doubt God's provision, and he doubts God will or can give him a son. So Abram takes matters into his own hands, and he sleeps with his Egyptian slave, Hagar, and she becomes pregnant with Ishmael. And you can read more about that in Genesis 16. But doubt disillusions Abram's hope. Doubt disillusions Abram's hope. 
And I think when we, when we don't have a, have a job for months, doubt that God can provide us one begins to weigh us down. When, when we aren't married, but we're in everybody else's wedding, doubt that God remembers our desire makes our heart heavy. When we come up against a situation that we can't see the end result, we insert doubt instead of hope. And when we can't see the solution to this impossible problem, we let doubt speak loudly to our hearts. And if this morning you're struggling with doubt, get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. You can hope again. You can hope again this morning, even if you're struggling with doubt, because there's no such thing as trusting God without unanswered questions. He knows all the answers. There would be no need to trust him if, if he told us all of them. He, I'm going to tell you something. This might make you a little bit, but he purposely doesn't tell us all the details, right? He purposely doesn't always make the provision known or visible because he wants us to trust him, because he wants us to hope in him. I believe that sometimes God only shows us the very next small step in the dark parts of our lives because in the dark, you stay very, very close to the person who's holding the flashlight. So Abram battles doubt. He battles doubt, so that's, that's weighing him down. And he also battles discouragement, okay? He comes up against trials and heartache and offense and conflict and Peach Street traffic. Let's just throw that in there, all right? Have you ever felt discouraged? Have you ever laid in bed at two in the afternoon and pulled the covers over your head? I might have done that after that green float experience. <laughs> have you ever sat at your kitchen table and just blankly stared, wishing you were any place but there? In Genesis 15, God shows up and he reminds Abram of his promise. This is what he says in verse one. He says, don't be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now that's a word from God right there. I mean, that, like, like that's a pretty encouraging word. The creator of the universe, the God of all nations, who rules and reigns and, and, and does everything for everyone and, and is totally sovereign, says, I am your shield and I am your very great reward. That, I mean, if God came and told me that, that is a pretty encouraging word. You know what Abram says? I love this verse too. Sovereign Lord. <laughs> I think that's the tone he might have said. What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Elizier of Damascus? Scholars say that that phrase, Elizier of Damascus, they don't even know what that means. There wasn't really an Elizier of Damascus. They think it's just like, a, like him just saying, okay, dippity doodah. <laughs> you, you haven't given me the only thing I wanted. Thanks for being my shield and my very great reward. And he goes back out to like zoning out on Netflix. He is so discouraged. He is so discouraged. He is so weighed down. He has lost so much hope that when God shows up and says, I am your shield and your very great reward, he looks at him and goes, oh, you know, here we are. Discouragement dries us up. You know, you know you're discouraged when you, the things you used to find fun or refreshing seem dull and boring. That nothing excites you. When you read a book or listen to your favorite song and you just feel nothing. David described discouragement in the Psalms, Psalm 63, 1. He said, you God are my God, earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. He's, he's saying discouragement is like being in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Shake your head if anyone 
can relate to that moment. If you've been in discouragement, I'm dry, I'm defeated, I'm discouraged. My life doesn't look like I thought it would. The enemy will try to discourage you because he knows you must have courage to overcome the attacks he launches against your hope. Let me say that again. The enemy will try to discourage you because he knows that you must have courage to overcome the attacks he launches against your hope. And did you know that courage, courage doesn't always roar. Courage doesn't always jump out of bed in the morning and be like, here we go. Yeah, it's Tuesday. All right, we're doing this thing. Sometimes courage is the quiet voice at the end of the day saying, my kitchen floor is sticky, but I'm going to try again tomorrow. I'm going to try again tomorrow. Whatever you do in the face of discouragement, don't quit. You can hope again. You can hope again. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up because you can hope again when there's discouragement. You know, I think there are different levels of faith at Kyle for this week. We talked a little bit about this, that one level delivers us from trials. One level delivers us from trials, but a whole nother level of faith takes us through them. It, it, it does take faith to pray and get delivered from something. It takes faith to do that. But it takes more faith to continue to walk in hope that God is going to show up. It takes more faith when God's power isn't being manifested, when we feel like we've wasted our days, when our hearts are not healing from the grief or the pain the way we thought they would, and we still hold on to hope. That is a whole new level of faith. And it is in the face of discouragement that we grow in faith. Go through the trials. Go through the trials. Don't avoid them. For Abram's faith to be strengthened, it had to have something to push against. We say this all the time. I don't know if they'll be able to finish this, this but I'm going to try it. I didn't prep them. Your faith needs a fight. Your faith needs a fight. That's what we say on campus all the time. Your faith needs a fight so hope can rise. So what happens to hope when the promise isn't here yet? Okay, so the promise is delayed. What happens to hope? We're already sinking over here. Oh. What happens when we thought we heard from God, when we thought we knew God's character, when we trusted him, but it appears that he just isn't going to show up, or at least isn't going to show up the way we thought he would? What happens when we experience delay? What happens to hope then? What happens when the bucket is so full it's so full, it's so overflowing that we can't even pick it up. It's so heavy, counteracting our hope. Well, in Genesis 15, God and Abram talk again, and God makes a promise, and he says, I'm going to give you a son. And that son is going to give you offspring, as many as the stars in the sky. And God even says in that moment, look up, look up, look at all those stars. You see all those stars? God's going to give you that many offspring." And then it's just one chapter, you'll, you'll read it quickly, it's just one chapter, Genesis 16 is next, but it's a little over a decade later. Did you know that? In one chapter. It's about 11 years later, and Abram is still waiting for the promise. Still waiting for the promise. I can't wait two minutes in the drive through before I get a little edgy. Anybody with me? Okay. God says you're going to have a son. We're painting the nursery. And then 11 years later, 
There is no sign of what God told him. In fact, he's getting a little older and a little crankier. And the delay does a number on his hope. It makes that bucket so heavy. It is counteracting hope in such a big way. So then in Genesis 17, so we're in chapter 15, chapter 16. This is just one, two chapters later, chapter 17. Abram is 99. He's 99 years old. And God shows up and changes his name to Abraham. Now, Abraham means father of multitudes. Father of many. And I can imagine... Abraham, in this delay, feeling a little awkward about his name change because he has exactly zero children right now with Sarah, right? He is not the father of many. It's like if God changed my name to Taylor Swift, okay? I cannot do one of her dance moves in the present time. I would feel a little bit, that was supposed to be funny. Come on, (laughs) laugh with me. All right. I can't do, you know, I don't know anything about that. Abraham is saying, yeah. You changed my name, but there is still nothing. My hope is still hanging on by a thread. My bucket is so heavy. And then God changes his wife's name to Sarah, and God gives them the name of a son who is going to be born to them. But it's almost like a movie teaser because Sarah still doesn't get pregnant for another entire year. Can you imagine? The delay is threatening the hope of God's promise. Has God made a promise to you that you're still waiting for? Maybe it's not that you're going to be the father of many nations. But God, did God say, um, if you stay faithful to me, I'll provide for your family. If you keep praying for him, I will help him beat that addiction. If you take a risk, I'll give you more than you could ever dream of. If you invite, me, invite someone to fill that empty chair, I will move in the heart and I will mend that relationship. When God says, and we don't see, it is very hard to hold on to hope. When weeks pass and months pass, maybe even years, hope can fade. Hope can be counteracted. It can be very, very heavy. But get your hopes up. Get your hopes up because in Genesis 21, only six chapters later, verse 1 through 2, it says this. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. As he had said. Say that to someone next to you. As he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant, bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. God keeps his promises. You can hope again because God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. What he says he will do, he will do. Galatians 6, 9 talks to this delay. It speaks to this delay of God's promises. And it says, don't be weary in doing good because in due time, we will reap if we faint not. Due time, that means the time that God says. The time that God thinks is right. Psalm 31 talks about this too. It says, but I trust in you, Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hands. God, I take the delay as long as you come with the promise. God is the author of time. And we can trust him to fulfill his promises. And we can hope even when there is a delay. We can hope. When doubt and discouragement and delay weigh you down, And any other D word that you want to just throw in there. (laughs) When they weigh you down, when your heart is heavy, when your bucket is so heavy and hope seems lost, when your hope is dashed, what do we do? How do we we flip the scale? 
How do we flip the scale so that hope weighs more in our lives, weighs with more heaviness in our lives than the other things? How do we counteract it? How do we counteract it when the hope bucket is empty, when there's nothing in there anymore because of the discouragement and the delay and the, and the doubt and, and all the other things that weigh us down, all the trouble that the, the world says, that, that God says we're going to have in the world? Well, I believe that we find the answer in Genesis 22. God fulfills Abraham's long-awaited, long-loved promise, right? He provides him a son named Isaac. And in Genesis 22, God says to Abraham, this is going to be like a, this is the plot twist. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain I will show you. I think that maybe some of Abraham's words are edited out of the scripture right there. <laughs> because I think that he might be like, what? What? Because I just waited a really long time and you just told me that it's the one I love and you want me, okay. And so you may be familiar with this story of Abraham and Isaac, but by God's command, Abraham takes his beloved son that he waited for forever and that he dealt with doubt and discouragement and delay and he takes his beloved son and he takes him to the mountain and I bet the whole way he's thinking this has got to be some kind of joke like are you kidding you know like here we go all right I'm just gonna do this God because I know you keep your promises I know you keep your promises and he's preaching to himself the whole time I can hope again I can hope again I can hope again and he takes him there and he, and he builds the altar and I bet he pauses and thinks good <laughs> like something else gonna happen right he arranges the wood he binds up his son, the son that he waited decades for. He reaches out his hand. Okay, at this point, I'd be like, seriously, like, are you, like, is this really going to happen? He takes the knife and he begins, he literally begins to motion to sacrifice his son. He is that obedient. And God stops him. We know the end of the story, but as it was going through, he didn't have any clue what would happen. And he looks up and there is a ram in the bushes that he will use instead for the sacrifice. Now Genesis twenty two fourteen says, so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. In Hebrew, the Lord will provide is Jehovah Jireh. Say that out loud, Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. Okay. Now, I always would use that name when I prayed for people, the Newbers taught me how to pray. And whenever I pray for people, I would use that if they needed something, like a physical thing. So I would pray that Jehovah Jireh would provide people with, they would provide missionaries with the vans that they need and, and money for groceries with families that don't have any and, and, and a financial need if you need a financial need. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, the Lord provides. And that's so true because when I read this passage, the Lord provided the ram. He provided the physical thing that Abraham needed, but when I started studying the life of Abraham and, and started thinking about hope, I just wonder if Abraham were here today and we could ask him what he meant when he called God the Jehovah Jireh, that yes, the Jehovah Jireh provided the ram that we needed, but the Jehovah Jireh provided the hope, the hope that I needed in that situation. That it was more than just the physical thing, but it was the hope. He provided the hope that he needed in the darkest, most confusing moment of his life. That Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides, also perhaps meant not just the ram, but he provided the hope. And I believe that this morning, if you're in the midst of doubt, if you're in the midst of discouragement, if you're in the midst of delay, 
that Jehovah Jireh is going to show up with the hope that you need. Because he keeps his promises. And you can hope again. In Romans 4, Paul's giving the synopsis of Abraham's life, and he says this. It's a little lengthy, but it's worth it. Romans 4, 18 through 25, says, Against all hope, against all hope, counteracting all the hope with a bucket full, Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. And without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but he was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, for me, for you, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him and raise Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. I believe in this passage we find the answer of how to fill the hope bucket. It says Abraham gave glory to God. He gave glory to God. And the Hebrew word for glory is kabod. Kabod. That's the Hebrew word for glory. And kabod literally means weight. W-E-I-G-H-T. Weight. Kabod literally means the weight. So he's saying, when I doubted, when I doubted, when I doubted all the time, I just gave weight to God. I just gave weight. I gave glory to God. I said, God, I know that you're going to show up. He said, when I was discouraged, when I faced trials of many kinds and I I wasn't sure how I was going to get it out of those situations, I just gave glory to God in those situations. And in that, I put hope. I put hope in. I gave weight to hope. I gave glory to God. He said that when there's delay, when there's delay in the promise, I knew that God kept his promise. And I gave glory to God. And in that, I gave weight to hope. Yeah. You can hope again. You can hope again because you can give glory to God. You can give weight to his word because what he says, he does. And when we doubt, we can give glory to him. And when we're discouraged, our faith needs a fight, but we can give glory to him. And you can bet that just as he did for Abraham, Jehovah Jireh is going to come right when you need your hope. He's going to provide that for you because that's what he does. He's Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. I'm going to have the worship team come up this morning to close us out. And would you guys stand up as well? When we give glory to God, we fill up the hope bucket. (laughs) We fill up the hope bucket and we give weight to his word. So this morning, we're just going to take a few minutes, and then we're going to go eat a whole lot of spaghetti. And we're going to give God the glory, the weight that he deserves. Whatever situation that you are facing, whatever 
doubt that you have, that, that, that God's going to provide for what you need, whatever health crisis that you're standing in the middle of, whatever hate mail that you're receiving, whatever situation that you can't find your way out of, Abraham taught us that if we give God the glory, we give him the weight. We give him what he deserves because God has a long, long history of keeping his promises. Oh, I'm so sorry. I don't know what my stuff is. Okay. God has a long, long history of keeping his promises. In Genesis, God is the breath of life. And in Exodus, God is the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In Numbers, the fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's Moses' voice. In Joshua, he is salvation's choice. In Judges, he's the lawgiver. In Ruth, the kinsman redeemer. In 1st and 2nd Samuel, our trusted prophet. And in Kings and Chronicles, he is sovereign. When you walk into the room, every heart starts burning. And nothing matters more than just it here at your feet and worship you. In Ezra, he's the true and faithful scribe. Nehemiah, he's the rebuilder of broken walls and lives. In Esther, he's Mordecai's courage. In Job, the timeless redeemer. Psalms, he is our morning song. In Proverbs, wisdom's cry. Ecclesiastes, the time and season. In the Song of Solomon, he's the lover's dream. In Isaiah, he's the Prince of Peace. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet in Lamentations, the cry for Israel. Ezekiel, the call from sin. Daniel, the stranger in the fire. In Hosea, he is forever faithful. In Joel, he's the Spirit's power. In Amos, the arms that carry us. In Obadiah, he's the Lord and Savior. In Jonah, he's the great missionary. He is.
Mark, Luke, and John. He is God, man, Messiah. In the book of Acts, he is fire from heaven. In Romans, he is the grace of God. In Corinthians, the power of love. Galatians, he is freedom from the curse of sin. Ephesians, our glorious treasure. Philippians, the servant's heart. In Colossians, he's the Godhead Trinity. Thessalonians, our coming king. In Timothy, Titus, Philemon, he is our mediator and he is our faithful pastor. Our God is, he is, he is with a capital I.
song say when you walk into the room everything changes darkness starts to tremble at the light that you bring at the hope that you bring because when you walk into the room every heart starts burning and nothing matters more than just to sit here at your feet and bring weight to you bring glory to you to worship you we love you God when you walk into the room sickness starts to vanish in every hopeless situation ceases to exist because when you walk into the room the dead begin to rise and there is resurrection life in all you do Jesus we love you God I pray for hearts this morning that are weighed down with doubt that are weighed down with discouragement that are weighed down because of the delay of your promise and God I pray in those moments that we could give weight to your words that we could give weight to your character that we could give glory to the fact that through every book of the Bible, that through generation to generation to generation, that you are faithful, that you are true, that you keep your promise, and that you passionately pursue us all day and all night. God, help us go from here different. Help us go from here giving weight to your hope and glorify you. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Hey, go eat some spaghetti. Have a great week.